Coming up on this week's episode of Destination Linux, the DL Triforce meets to spotlight our must-have and cannot live without applications, the software we use on Linux. We have some updates coming from the world of GNOME that touch on some of the topics we've hit on before on default, so this should be an interesting topic. And then we head to our gaming section where we took a look at a way for you to get your tabletop gaming on in Linux. And of course, we have our popular tips, tricks, and software picks. All of this and so much more coming up right now on Destination Linux. Welcome to episode 191. You are tuned in to the number one video-centric Linux podcast on the planet. Destination Linux is your source for great discussions on Linux and open source. My name is Ryan and with me today, Noah and Michael. Noah, what have you been up to this week, man? Well, it's been fun, Ryan. I uh, I finally got a little bit of uh, of a break with all of the the work we've been doing, and I had a friend that came into town, and um, uh, he 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 actually he worked for a an airline company, and so he has a lot of time off because obviously a lot of people aren't traveling, and so he said to me, "I want to supercharge my house. I want to put uh, automation in. I want to do some of these things." And so he kind of we we had a little bit of a chat of where he's at and 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 kind of the systems that he's used. Had that conversation with him about, "Hey, do you want to, Do you care about where the where this data is winding up and 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 the privacy concerns that come with it. And he said, yeah. So we started transitioning to Home Assistant or at least looking at what like transitioning his setup to Home Assistant was like. And it's been really interesting. We talked last week a little bit about backwards compatibility and why that's so important in the Linux and open source ecosystem. That is definitely the case as it relates to home automation and home assistant because if you don't have the ability to be backwards compatible with the cloud-based devices that people already own or have already purchased, it puts Home Assistant at a fundamental disadvantage. And then one of the things that people are going to say is they're going to say, what well, doesn't work with this particular brand or that particular brand? You want to make sure that the times that it doesn't work with that particular brand is because that particular brand won't support uh, open integration with other systems and not because Home Assistant you know, has some sort of ideological, we don't talk to anything that talks in the cloud, right? It's wonderful that it has the ability to tie into if, if then and that and be able to deliver the same kind of experience that people have with the with their with their traditional cloud providers, um, but have the ability to bring some of that data at least back into the home. Well, this is a really important topic as it relates to Linux as a whole when we talk about messaging. Now, today we're in a world in which you can now go to Lenovo and Dell and System76 and get a machine with Linux pre-installed on it. But it's interesting because our messaging is that you know Linux can work on everything, and in a lot of cases it can. But then you have people who are bringing this you know odd computer that they bought. And they're like, hey, I want to try Linux. And then they try it and they go, oh my gosh, it doesn't work. But you don't do that same thing with Apple, right? You don't go buy a, a random Dell, for instance, try to load Mac OS on it and then get mad at Mac OS because it doesn't install on there because it was never meant for that to begin with. So if you're wanting to try an Apple, you have to go buy an Apple product. And with Linux, we've you know tried to cover our tracks to make it adaptable to work on many different types of machines. But at the end of the day, our messaging really should be, if you want to try Linux, you need to make sure that you're going out there looking for hardware that specifically we know works on Linux, either created for it out of the box. And now you can do that with big companies or you buy the specific hardware out there that is known to work well in the open source world. And I think that's an important message, not just from the home assistant thing, but just in period in Linux is, you know, we're just like any other ecosystem. You want to you want to use it, you need to use the right hardware, you need to make those decisions during purchasing time, 
and not get mad at Linux because it doesn't work on this random laptop you went and purchased at Walmart. Wait, wait a second. Uh, but random laptops at Walmart are the the key principles of what we all should purchase, right? Is that are you? I'm confused. But stop it. No, that's what don't. all the YouTube videos are about. Okay, that's what everybody wants to see on Linux. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> Unfortunately, you're not wrong. So, Michael, what's new in your world? So I did this weekend Linux live yesterday. So I and I'm, I brought it back. We're doing list every week on Saturdays. In addition to the Sundays we do this week, this uh, this podcast, Destination Linux. I'm also doing this week in Linux for uh, live on my YouTube Yay! channel. And it's back. Yeah, and it, I am super excited about it. I and I was it was a it was actually like a surprise event. Like all the patrons for like knew about this. So, but the it was just like a surprise to everybody else. So and also in addition to doing the live stream for that show, I also did some testing with a new uh, operating system. It's it's something that Noah would be you know surprised and maybe even happy that I'm using it because uh, since he doesn't anyway, and that's Fedora. And that oh good, is, you finally came over to Linux. That's great. Oh, that's not tell that's, us about no, it. How did the switch go? And you tell also, Noah what Fedora is like since he loves Fedora but doesn't use it. Yeah, it's a it's it's a it's a, dis- it's a distribution Fedora. that's made by Red Hat. If you hadn't heard of it, Noah, I have heard uh, of and, it. I've been oh. using it since Fedora Core One. I used Red oh, well, Hat before. But that. is that what you use day to day? Is that is that yes. no no oh on my workstation in my basement? Answer me one this. question: What are you using right now, Noah? Ubuntu. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. This is but, in my workstation that's in the basement. This is my public computer that I'm required to use for everybody else's things. Well, it's what Ted like installed on. on your machine, in all fairness. You yes, told him to put Fedora on there, and you got yeah, it on too. Ted, so just, that's, Ted, that's Ted just puts random Thanks, things. Thanks, Ted. Terrible yeah. producer. <laughs> but... Yeah, so in in addition to this testing out uh, Fedora, what, but basically it wasn't just to troll Noah. That's not why I tested it. It was actually because uh, one of our patrons, Neil, uh, tricked me into trying out Fedora. Essentially, you, I would I he came on and it was it was great, but he came on and we had a, a really long conversation in the in the patron post show, and I was and I was kind of like, you know, it'd be really great if Fedora could do certain things. And he was like, well, if you didn't know, I actually am a, par- a part of the team for the Fedora KDE. And I was like, wait, huh? And then he and and he eventually convinced me or tricked me, whatever you want to call it, uh, into trying out Fedora KDE and to help contribute in addition to the fact that the Novo is putting a lot of effort behind like the X-Warn Carbon ThinkPad has uh, Fedora by default. And having all those, th- all those pieces come together seems like a fantastic uh, opportunity for the Fedora project. It wasn't, that's not the reason I wanted to use it. It just happened to be at the same time. So Good that's timing, pretty yeah. cool. Well, if you're interested in more Red Hat-like content and things, you should also check out the Pseudo Show because they're doing a bunch of content related to that. Two people that also work at Red Hat, so that helps as well. And they have a on episode 8 coming up and ask them anything. So if you have some questions that you are building up related to Pseudo Show, related to anything that they talk about on that fantastic show uh, or Red Hat, Feel free to jump in there and do the ask anything to them for episode eight coming up. And so, Ryan, what have you been doing this week? So I released my first video on the mini ITX Titan to great success. I think it was a fantastic video because it showed something a little bit different. I took some risks with this build. I did some things that worked amazing. I did some things that I don't think were the best option for this. And I went into that in the first video. The second video is what people are more used to in these type of reviews that I'm working on this week, which is the benchmarking and showing off the gaming and everything. And let me just tell you, it's pure fire. Uh, 
So we'll get into that next week. But I watched a documentary this week, Noah, that I thought you, if you haven't seen it, would be fascinated to watch. There's nothing particularly new covered here that we haven't seen in some of the other documentaries that have covered things like Edward Snowden and Cambridge Analytica and other stuff. But the way they presented it, I thought was really important. The movie's called Social Dilemma, and it talks about the dangers of uh, to human impact of what social networking is doing to really the entire world in the sure. communities and elections and everything. And the way it was created was in such a way that anybody with any level of basic education could really understand how this is going to impact them. So instead of going super deep into say Cambridge Analytica and how the AI works and all this type of thing, they really kind of were breaking it down so that your average person watching can understand the impact. And one of the things that I thought was really powerful is mm -hmm. that the people they're interviewing here are the people who built it. So they were the lead designers at Google, at Facebook, at Pinterest, the people who developed the thumbs up button, the psychology behind it, all of those individuals. Did they, did they go into the psychology of why we still can't have a thumbs down button? Well, I mean, we have a thumbs down on YouTube. Trust me, just go look at my video. Right. No, no, no. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, I mean, Facebook never really got behind that. I mean, we, we got a lot. We got everything else. We still didn't get the thumbs down. I just wondered. But no, that sounds fantastic. And and the digging into the psychology and the science behind why the market forces allow people to participate in social network the way that they do and what ramification that has on society, I think, is a fascinating thing to discuss and think about, particularly in an election year, right? What is going to happen in November? It doesn't matter what side wins. Somebody's going to be upset. And how they deal with that disappointment and how they express that and how they find comfort in, in, in the social networks, uh, social, social networks and talking with other people and then how those social networking companies use that information and use that psychology and that stress level against your buying power so that you go and spend more money is I think really dangerous and something it, we should it's be so really much aware. more than buying. I mean, it starts with, Oh, I'm sure power, it is, but, but, that, but it, money at the end of the day, if you want to know why people make the decisions, they, they make that's it true. because yeah, of follow money. the money trail, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it's a good point. And they go into that in this and how serious this is and how it, it's devastating certain governments and beliefs that we had out there. Yeah. And, and the one thing I really want to get across to people, because we have a lot of smart people in the Linux community. I mean, I think if you're part of the Linux community, frankly, you're at a much higher level, just starting off in the tech world than most people will ever obtain just because you start to learn how operating systems work and hardware works inside and out by the very nature of Linux is that a lot of people believe they can't be fooled by this. So they're like, Hey, you know, I'll put, you know, Facebook in a container in Firefox and now I'm free from this, but it really dives into the fact that it's so far advanced now what they have and what they're capturing that your ability to fake it or believe that you're just feeding it nonsense, you know, because you only post a picture once every six months is completely out the door. It, it's so good at predicting that all these people who think that they go, oh my gosh, my phone's listening to me because I talked about donuts and now I see a donuts ad. But what I thought was interesting is someone said, you know what that is? That's not them listening to your conversation. That's because their AI has gotten so good at predicting your behavior that well, they that, knew you were going to be thinking well, about well, that donut and wanting to buy a donut at this time. And I was like, whoa, that, that's mind-blowing. 
was it? That was the Cambridge Analytica documentary, right? Where yes, they went into yep. and, and we're talking about that. That was that, a professor that was, talking about that. Yeah, right, right. And the, the the name of that one, which is absolutely worth watching too, is um that that whatever that one is. That's that that one also is a good one. The political message is a little weird. Like they get a little weird towards the end, but they're talking to the people that actually were involved in taking that data from Facebook and using it to manipulate the election. I mean, it is pretty crazy stuff. Yeah, it's wild. So I definitely the great suggest- hack. The great hack. Yeah, I definitely suggest you go check some of those out because it may also give you, if you're already a privacy enthusiast, some additional talking points to help other people start to understand why this is so serious. It's more than just people serving ads now. It's really impacting humanity as we know it. This episode of Destination Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. You can get started on DigitalOcean for free with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. And we've actually done some really awesome stuff with DigitalOcean yeah. recently. We set up a Xenotic game server. Actually, Ryan set it up, and so it might not work for a long time. Uh, what? But what? What are you talking about? <laughs> Who knows? That's the it's... most advanced security possible to deploy on a <laughs> but, Xenotic yeah. gaming server. Sure, and it's it's really awesome that it, it was it was DigitalOcean made it so much easier to do so to set to set up the droplet for Xenotic. It's just fantastic. So if you want to enjoy an open source first person shooter for free and game with DLN community members, then check that out. We'll have links in the show notes below for that. And also, there's other stuff that DigitalOcean has been recently doing that is just fantastic. Like the virtual private cloud or VPC is available in all regions free of charge, and it lets you create multiple private networks to isolate your workloads. And you can get all this plus access to the world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. But you can actually get started for free with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. And you can use that $100 credit to do over dozens like dozens of droplets, or you can even do monster-sized droplets for two months and just make some really awesome stuff with DigitalOcean and their marketplace because there's so many cool things in the marketplace. So go to do.co slash DLN and get started with that $100 free credit. And thanks again to DigitalOcean for sponsoring Destination Linux. All right. So in our community feedback this week, Tracy writes us to say, hi, I'm a longtime listener of Destination Linux. I really like the intelligent discussion, experience-based opinions, and positive attitude on the show. Noah, recent signature rant. Love those. Challenging ZSH as a default shell and strongly recommending Fish inspired me to finally see how the two compare firsthand. I've been using ZSH on work and personal systems for years, but now I'm convinced Fish would be a better default shell. I've switched to it on my personal ThinkPad X1 Carbon running Solus Linux. You know, if you really, you had Noah all the way up until Solus, not that he doesn't love that, but if you said Fedora, you'd have been his greatest fan ever there. This isn't the first time someone has said Fish is better than ZSH. I've never seen someone articulate why clearly. So I'd like to briefly share my experience. Fish has auto-completion, so does ZSH. Syntax highlighting, got it. Showing your Git status in a prompt, yep. What would make someone want to spend effort switching? Noah's opinions are always grounded in practicality. So I knew there was weight behind this recommendation. So they had forgotten that they had actually spent hours setting up ZSH to do the things that Fish was doing out of the box. And that's where they go and say, by contrast, Fish has syntax highlighting, auto-completion, and auto-suggestion set up by default. With use, you realize how much time this saves you over the long run. Invalid commands are highlighted, for instance, so you can immediately correct them. As the fish shell tells you, help is found by simply typing help rather than bringing up a cryptic man page. It opens very approachable documentation in your browser. 
Similarly, Fish is easy to configure through a simple browser-based GUI. Bottom line, Fish lets you quickly and easily hit the ground running and makes customization easy. I agree that the open source community shouldn't just do what Apple does. We should put thought into what we advocate for any default. After using both Fish and ZSH, I have to agree that Fish would be the better default. I hope those distros consider this. Keep up the great podcast, Tracy. There you go, Noah. Somebody finally agrees with you. I can't believe it. It's about You know what? At at the end of the day, all I can do on this show or any show that I'm on is tell you why I make the decisions that I make. And then if you agree with those things, if you say, hey, that Indian guy sounds like he actually knows what he's talking about. I should do that. Sounds like that would work for me. Then you do that thing. And if you say to yourself, I tried fish shell and that didn't work for me. And I really like not having autocomplete and all of those things that make it great. You can go back to bash. There you go. Perfect. No, I, I love <laughs> emails like that. And Tracy, thank you so much for sending that in. I think it is interesting. Something that I didn't consider is that while there are a lot of feature comparison websites out there, ZSH versus fish, how something is upon install, how easy it is upon install and the defaults there matter as we talked about in that episode. So you covered that well. We love hearing from our worldwide community. We have many ways for your voices to be heard. You can send us a short email or video link that may just get incorporated to the show. Send your video links or emails to comments at destinationlinux.org. GNOME 3.38 is releasing this month, and it's packed with some really impressive features that touch on some of the discussions that we've had recently here on Destination Linux. Some of the highlights include the GNOME Tour. Remember we were talking about making defaults different. You need to introduce them to users. GNOME has a different way of doing things. They have a different style and a different work way of managing things. Now, nobody here is saying that it's necessarily better or worse, but what we are saying is that it's different from the way that every other operating system is doing it. And so if you're going to introduce something different, then you need to walk through the user very carefully through the way that you expect them to do things. Now, other improvements include things like a new fingerprinter, you reader, UI, multi-monitor, support with users with different refresh rates. This is a big deal. I've said for a long time that I think that multi-monitor, uh, the, the configuration for multi-monitor support in GNOME um, was lacking, particularly as it relates to things like Unity, which had particularly good multi-monitor support. Mm-hmm. There's been a large surgery on Mutter's fork of clutter, uh, and they implemented a new frame clock um, and made each clutter stage view create its own frame clock that allowed monitors not to interfere with each other. Um, Again, as we move our way into Wayland, and remember, Wayland doesn't include its own compositor, and so you're you're essentially pairing with with something else underneath to be able to bring all that together. And now all of the the people that create the software applications have to test on this new system. And so a lot of things are moving very, very quickly. And GNOME is doing a good job at keeping on top of all of these changes uh, and, and trying to work out these bugs so that you get the improvements and, and, and the GPU performance that you would expect. And then things like yeah. capturing your screen and being able to embed that into you know an OBS capture window or that when a website calls for that, that those calls are able to seamlessly connect to either screencast or web webcam or audio under usage or whatever it is, um, these are all things that that GNOME is working on and improving on. Um, Ryan, what were your, or Michael, what were your, some of, some of your favorite improvements in GNOME 3.38? I mean, the refresh rate you talked about is big to me. I have two 2K monitors. One runs at 75 hertz, one at 144. So mm-hmm. having them at different hertz and then interfering with each other would be a big pain in the butt. Um, the screen capturing is a big deal because I'm a believer that we need to push Wayland forward. I think, 
you know, there's a lot of improvements in the way that Wayland does things, but it's still behind X in a lot of ways. One of the ways it's behind X is number one in gaming. Typically, if you try to game in Wayland, it's a terrible experience in the FPS, depending on the game and the GPU that you're using, but also the inability to screen capture, which is a big deal for me. Some people that may not be a big deal, but you know, a lot of my content and creating that I do is based on screen capture So, and being able to use OBS. So their ability to improve that, um, I think, is super important. But something that everyone, whether using Wayland or not, can enjoy is customizing the app grid now so that you can drag and drop applications over top of each other and start really making that grid system, menu system that they have work for you and be more organized, much like you can do on any standard uh, mobile operating system there. And I really appreciated the fact that they rolled in the parental controls. This is something as my kids are getting older is getting more and more important. Now, I believe most of all, the most important thing you can do is have the conversations with your kids about things they're going to see because you're not going to be able to block everything or what they do when they go to their friend's house and how their systems are set up. But it is nice to be able to block things and and keep things relatively safe, especially as they're, you know, it, being trying to just be kids. So I appreciate the fact they've put work into that. Yeah, I think that the parental, parental controls is a really important piece, and I'm glad that they made that an easier thing to deal with. Um, fundamental thing that is asked in a lot of communities. Uh, there's also like the customizing the app grid is great. And I do like there's this one thing that is not necessarily a big use case, but I do like it. It's that they have a QR code reader system now where if you ha- mm. it, like if you want to share your your laptop's connection to your phone, you just scan the QR code with your phone and it does this. Uh, it like kind of automatically connects a hotspot to your laptop, which is a really cool well, that's approach. Fire. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like that as a, as a, as a feature they added. Not everybody's going to need that, but the people who do will find that valuable. The GNOME Tour is like a, a is just a fantastic thing that they're doing because every every distro, every DE, everything that has an interface that is different at all or that's slightly different from expectations should have something like that that explains everything to make it easier to use for especially for beginner people to it. So I'm glad that that GNOME is doing that. Our security advisory this week is brought to you by Bitwarden, and it's to be careful when you're using public Wi-Fi. Whether you're at a hotel or a well-known coffee shop, your favorite restaurant, it doesn't matter. Public Wi-Fi is not a safe bet. And logging into your personal accounts or doing file transfers can leave you compromised. I saw this firsthand when I was hanging out with Bo. We were at a coffee shop, and he said, watch this. And all of our computers' Wi-Fi dropped. And all of our Wi-Fi came back on, connected to what we thought was the same coffee network, but we were actually connected to Bo's computer, and he was then watching our traffic. It was instantaneous, and if you had looked away when he did it or targeted one machine, you would never know. And that's how powerful this message is to not, if you can't avoid it, and if you are, make sure using a VPN would be extremely helpful, because even though you might be connected, your traffic's going to be encrypted. But even better is to use your phone as a personal hotspot instead, which would be much safer than these public hotspots because a lot of people just fake the name. So you think you're you know, connecting to Starbucks Wi-Fi and it's just somebody out there mimicking that name of Starbucks Wi-Fi and you're really connecting to them and they're able to watch your traffic. You want another way to stay really secure? Use Bitwarden Password Manager. It's the password manager we all used well before they even became a sponsor of the show. Absolute amazing password manager. I set up my new mini Titan this week. In fact, I had to install Pop! OS from scratch, get all of my systems logged in, all the websites logged in. 
I couldn't have remembered all of those different passwords that I have because I make long and complex passwords. Thankfully, all I had to do is get my YubiKey out and set up my two-factor authentication, get into Bitwarden, and boom, all my passwords are there. I'm able to log into my accounts. I could do this from my mobile device. I could do this from my laptops, desktops. Doesn't matter. Bitwarden has an app for everything. And the best news is $10 a year gets you access to their premium features here of one gigabyte encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, Vault Health Reports, TOTP, Authenticator, Priority Customer Support. You can get all of this by going to bitwarden.com slash DLN. This is the password manager you should use, bitwarden.com slash DLN. Check it out. So one of the very popular sections of the show is the software spotlight. There's so many awesome applications on Linux and that we wanted to give a highlight to not just a, you know, a weekly spotlight, which we will continue to do, but we wanted to be like, let's just do a big rundown of our must-have applications for the Linux platform. Let's start with Ryan. What would you say that you are reliant on today at this point? There's so many great products, but when I was doing this list, the one interesting thing I noticed is how much the applications changed from four years ago when I started Linux and said, I have to have these to now. Like It's just such a big difference. Now, some of them are still there, like OBS Studio. I have to have OBS. OBS is how we stream. Mm -hmm. OBS is how I record all my video content. OBS is one of the most vital pieces of software for me and one of the first things that I have to get installed. Obviously, Audacity, when I'm editing Hardware Addicts podcast, when I'm doing any audio work, when I've messed up audio in my videos and need to fix it, Audacity is a very important one. But let's talk about Kodi MD because Kodi MD is one that has taken over my note-taking life, right? All the show notes and everything we do are Kodi MD. When we have a discussion about the show and content and things where we want to go with the show and we want to take notes on it, we quickly drop in, create a Kodi MD document to highlight all of that. It's really become a huge center of a lot of the work that I do using Markdown language. So Kodi was one of those ones where it wouldn't have been on my radar four years ago. And now it's one of the most vital. There's definitely some things about like the different applications we use do change a lot. And that's an interesting point. And the one of the things about Kodi ND is that it is like when I first found it, it, it was essentially solved every problem that I wanted. I wanted to be able to have a, a real time collaborative editing, but I didn't want to use anything like Google Docs or whatever. I wanted to have like a scripting ability and I wanted to have uh, like the markdown as the focus of how to, how to use it. And then when I like I was also a huge fan of Sublime Text, which is one of my top favorites as Sublime Text, because I think the editor is, is fantastic. But there is just it, it's it's super interesting because of the ability to uh, use Kodi MD, but have sublime text functionality. That's what amazes me with Kodi MD. You have this, the shortcut system and the, like the special multiple cursors approach and all this other stuff is available in Kodi MD that was like invented by sublime text. And that just blows me away. When I found that, I was like, wow, this is exactly what I wanted and more because I had no expectation of having the ability to use sublime functionality in a real-time collaborative editor. Now, it's Noah, Cody was ridiculous. a big deal for you too, right? I mean, when we switched to it... here's a, It is no exaggeration to say that every show I've ever done uh, ever, if we, if I have to use Google, Google docs for it, I will look at it once. So I know what I'm talking about. Then I'll copy that into sublime text or Kate and run off of there. 
I'm not using Google Doc. I, I can't even use Control C like that or whatever. I can't even right click and copy and paste um, unless I'm in I'm a, unless I'm in a freedom hating web browser. So I live <laughs> yeah. in Cody MD as far as brain dumping and 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 planning and everything else. To the point that I, I was last week or the week before, like I couldn't remember which instance I was on because I've got accounts on so many so many different people have begun using them now. And I've got accounts on all these instances that I have to, oh, which one makes the most sense because they're all the same to me. Love yeah. it. And love Markdown too, by the way. Oh, yeah. Markdown. Once oh, you yeah. start, once you learn it, Markdown is so fast and capable and it's really not that difficult to learn. Now, for my personal notes, it's been standard notes and I've switched a lot with note-taking apps. I've had the Joplin. I've done, uh, I don't even remember. I've had so many different ones, Cherry Tree and all these others. But standard notes is the one that I'm using now mostly because I feel like they have the most sustainable model in the note-taking world as far as they have a business model to monetize it, make money off of it. It's free though, if anybody wants to use an open source, but you know they, they are kind of going cross industry and I feel like I can use it on any device that I have, easy application to download, don't have to set up my own servers. And you know it has an ability to self-sustain itself uh, through its monetary process that it has for purchasing. And I like the fact that I can use Markdown in standard notes as well. So I think it's a pretty cool note-taking app. I'm not saying it's the best, but it's the one I'm currently using. And I switch note-taking apps. Usually it seems like every four months to something different, but right now it's standard notes. Yeah, I, I've played I've play with standard notes. I haven't, I don't, I don't have much experience with it overall, but I think that it has a, a lot of potential and I need to put some more effort into trying it out. But I have like so many different note tools that I've used over the past couple of years that it's like, it's, I just miss it because it fell through the cracks kind of thing. There's a notes tool that I wanted to point out that I, uh, we talked about previously in the last episode that I am super excited about still. And that is, it's, it's so super productivity is what I'm talking about. It's a notes app yeah. and a task app. So it has, it has a note system and a task and project management system and a bunch of other stuff. I, have been using it since we talked about it last week and a few days before. And I am just in love with this application. It does like, there are still some things that I wish it could do, like syncing in a more uh, custom self-hosted way or, you know, mobile integrations and a little bit better and that sort of stuff. But so far, I mean, it's just, I I'm just super impressed by it and I can't wait to, you know, try it out more. And we're going to be having the developer for super productivity. We called him out on the show and yes. he reached out. How it was cool great. Was he sent an email saying, well, it looks like you want to talk to me about this. So I, I would like to, you know, let's do it. And that was, that was fantastic. So uh, I'm, we're looking forward to having him on and we're going to do that pretty well, soon. I've been using that app all week as well, Michael. And I could tell you that this goes against my shoot from the hip style entirely. And I love it. Um, it, it kind of, <laughs> it kind of has broken in and built some new habits for me that I desperately needed to build and mm -hmm. really does keep you on task. It has a very nice system to it. So I, I love that tool and I love that you brought it to the yeah. forefront. I look forward to, to talking to that developer. We haven't heard from you yet. What are some of the apps you have to have? So I divide them in a couple different categories. Um, my essential apps uh, are Kate, Sublime Text, Thunderbird, Xiphos, Firefox, Terminator, QMMP, KeePass, XC, and VLC. So the text editors, if I just, if I just, like somebody calls on the phone and says, here, I need you to look at this thing. I need you to address this ticket, whatever the thing is. And they're not giving me a lot of, um, 
a lot of information. I just need a place to brain dump. And so I do that in Kate more often than not. Um, if I need, if I need more advanced note taking, like I'm going to be on site for a week or something like that. And I'm just brain dumping stuff for clients, usually sublime text. And then I'm bouncing between whatever that immediate workspace is taking notes, writing IP addresses, passwords, whatever, and bouncing between that and Thunderbird and responding to emails and, and Firefox, of course, checking on tickets, stuff like that. Xiphos, just a, 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 a Bible software. Uh, Terminator, really good terminal application that allows you to uh, have multiple terminals open all at one time so you can be SSH to a number of servers and do a lot of things all at one time. Uh, QMMP, basically, if you remember the Winamp days, it's Winamp for Linux. Actually, I think that was a recommendation from you, Michael. One of the it, best music player apps out there. Just fantastic. Brain dead simple, teeny tiny, almost minuscule UI, almost forget it's running kind of a thing. Always have it running in the background. KeyPassXC, a place for you to store your encrypted passwords. If they don't need to be on the internet, I don't want them on the internet, so I keep them stored in a KeyPassXC database. Uh, VLC, just an all-around media player for playing videos and music and, and stuff like that. Now, once I get through my essential list, I go into like the overflow. The, every computer I use, if I'm going to use it for five minutes or, or 10 weeks, I have to have those one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 programs installed. Um, after that, though, there are some that make my life a little easier. Remina, for example, it's an RDP client for Linux, but it allows you to save configuration profiles. And so I just have literally, my Remina window is- I love is, Remina. Is, yeah. is just huge. And I click on the site I want, and then it expands out and gives me all the machines. And I click on that person's machine, and I'm instantly inside of their computer. Of course, you have to connect the VPN first. But uh, Remina allows me to not have to remember, well, that site has this IP address scheme, and this site has that IP address right. scheme. And here we use this password, and here that we use that one. doesn't matter. It's all safe. Uh, Vert Manager allows you to, that's being phased out, it's being deprecated, being replaced with cockpit. But for right now, Vert Manager is GUI utility to manage libvirt And so if you want to virtualize a server, you can do it with Vert Manager. It isn't necessary to set up some bridging. But I like having it on there because like Remina, it allows me to have saved shortcuts to all of the servers and all of the individual devices I manage. Uh, Element and Telegram, Messenger Systems, I, I primarily live on Element these days, but I still have Telegram installed. So if I know somebody's looking for me for Telegram or if I see that a bridge didn't go through, I'll jump on Telegram real quick. Uh, OBS Studio, use that for really everything. You know, Ryan, you kind of talked about that a little bit from the standpoint of, hey, I'm producing content. But for me, it's just as simple as I call the guys from my heating and air conditioning place and they logged into my controller for my, uh, that, 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 that separates all the zone stuff. I fired up a OBS and just recorded that entire thing because I want to see what changes they're making. I want to see how they're logging in. Right. They do type something real quick. I want to be able to go back and be like, now, how did he fix that? What menu was he in? Um, and so I found OBS just a really useful day-to-day -day screen recording tool thing. Hey, here's how you here, show my mother how to click on this thing or how to do this thing. I find right. OBS to be a really useful thing to have on there for that. Um, Inkscape and, and Audacity, two of the, uh, two of, I think, the most underrated open source programs out there. Inkscape is a, is a vector graphics program. So basically your ability to just design things, um, but it does everything in scalable vector graphics, which means you can export it the size of an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper and print it out, or you can blow it up the size of the import state building and print it on the side and you won't lose any resolution. I mean, you'll have to print it at a higher resolution, but the vector graphic can scale up. Um, and then uh, then ab above and beyond that, I, I have two more categories. I call them web apps, or I'm glad it's on Linux, which is I don't really want to use it, but I'm glad that there's a Linux alternative. So with the web apps, if it's self-hosted web app thing that I, I'll, I'll use, Bitwarden, 
uh, for anything that's online or that I have to keep track of passwords for. Uh, Cody MD, you mentioned that. We've already talked about it. Easy appointments, um, scheduling system that we use at UltaSpeed. It's also my the way I do my, my personal schedule. Nextcloud, I use that for uh, my family that's scheduling stuff. As well yeah. as I embed the uh, my Element client into Nextcloud, that's a, that's an add-on, so I can uh, I deal with all my communications that way. C file for syncing files around an OS ticket uh, specifically for Alta Speed, and then I have my, my last c- category is just I'm glad it's on Linux. Things that I wish. Uh, I, I didn't have to use proprietary versions of, but if I have to use proprietary versions, if somebody else in a different company or some other place says, here's how we're oh, doing this Oh, you already thing. said sublime text. Yeah, I probably did. <laughs> um, but the, the, uh, the, the thing that I'm, 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 that just, was, I'm that glad that that thing is available on Linux, Simple Help, Spotify, Chrome, Discord, Zoom. Those are applications that I, I don't believe that any of them are the best in their class. Uh, I, I think that there's, I think that there's advantages and disadvantages to every one of those. However, I'm really glad that when I have to log into Spotify to 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 listen to a playlist that somebody sends me or whatever, at least I have the ability to run that software on Linux. And so, a huge thank you to those companies for doing that, even if it's not open source. I guess yeah, Sublime Text should be on here. The thing is, Sublime Text, proprietary or not, is it's an awesome. essential tool for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah awesome. exactly. Well, I've gotten away from it because I use PyCharm. And so I feel much more superior to all of you using an actual <laughs> open source product. And uh, I guess you're walking over the other side of the bridge with Michael there, Noah? Well, I, you know, to the extent that a, a bridge exists bridge. and I have to get to the other side and uh, and, I, and I'm not aware. I mean, if you let me tell you this. If you know a back roadway, you let me know off air, okay. Ryan. I'll totally I'll, I'll investigate that. So he just, he just f- helped me build a bridge. That's all. Just to finish yeah. my my picks here, App Image Launcher is something I can't live without, specifically mm. in Pop OS, because this allows you to actually get your app images to show up in your menu without having to do special voodoo. Because uh, you know, if you ever double click on an app image and things like I don't know, uh, Manjaro and other distros, it just kind of shows up once you've launched it once. Well, I think that maybe because they have App Image Launcher by uh, default, uh, Manjaro for sure does. I don't know if they're like yeah. I don't. That's the only one I know that has it. But the app image launcher makes it so easy to set up an app image because like by default, if you've never used an app image before, you have to right click, go to properties and give it executable permissions. And if you don't, it won't do anything. It will like open up in an archive folder or archive application. But if you have app image launcher, it'll say, hey, would you like to execute this? And then you just go through the process and it makes it a lot easier. So I think every distribution should consider adding they need to not consider it they just need to do it it needs to be a thing and and (laughs) you know i don't like the fact we have our patrons here anymore michael because jacob called me out on my bridge building saying that the edition the professional edition of pie charm is not in fact open source only the community (laughs) edition is um so uh so now you're using sublime text working out (laughs) exactly you might as well just go to sublime text at that point (laughs) here's the thing you don't want to know michael you back me up on this code emd is is like sublime text for the web Yes, basically. The, like the value it doesn't have of all the application stuff that that, that Sublime Text hey, has. Maybe but we as could do a like whole episode notes. on proprietary software, you guys. Maybe you could, hey. we could just turn the mic over and let you guys talk about your favorite proprietary software for two hours. Good idea. <laughs> Let's go ahead. About, Sublime Text like is a fantastic application. I'm talking about Sublime Text and all the things I can do in it and how much time it'll save you. And, and oh, ah. by the way, it's available in a PPA, so it's instantly available on all your Linux distros. It's also available in, like I think, both Snaps and Flatpaks. It's, it's Sublime Sweet. Text is a fantastic application. If you haven't tried it, you should try it out for a text well, for editors. my open source soldiers out there. We also have pop shell that I can't live without and uh PFVPN. So there so if you, you want go. the thing that doesn't quite work as well, but has Ryan's approval. Check that out. 
But Michael, the, did you have any here that you wanted to throw in? Because I see you have Microsoft Office. I, I, you put that uh, in there. Adobe. It has to be you or Noah has Access, put random. Excel, no. Outlook. No. Those are someone even put some. One of you put solitaire. Like okay, oh, solitaire. sure. That's it. Clippy, <laughs> Michael. Clippy, really. <laughs> Clippy, whatever. Notepad, whatever. MS not, Paint, not true. Word Clippy's pad, open source. This is all probably Ted's fault. Word, PowerPoint, Excel, access. None of, none of that is real. Then all of that is all that, nonsense. Then he's got Caden Live. All of it's nonsense. Okay, so the actual starting of the list is Caden Live is a, is a video editor for Linux. It's an open source video editor, and it <laughs> is a fantastic editor. I am a huge fan of Caden Live. And uh, there, I, I've even done like some modifications on my own side of doing like automation tools with it. I mean, Caden Live is just. It's just it's powerful in what yeah. it could be, and especially since like as far as the open source tools, it is very powerful. And and you might not know how like how much it can do, but once you start getting into it, it it, it can surprise you. And that's what I I love about Caden Live. And there's also like the OBS. We already talked about OBS, but as someone who gets you know mocked about how many OBS scenes are in the show, it is well, actually we know you something. Use that one to death. Yeah, I use OBS pretty much every day because OBS is that useful to me in terms of like production of the videos and editing and everything. So like we we have this switching effect that I have built into uh, this the show production. And for those who might not know, this is actually running through OBS. So it's it's I can do this in real time whenever I want to switch back to all three of us. Like now I can just push the button and there we go. So like there's different like so much great value in OBS is just it's it's an impressive piece of software, and I thank them every day for making such an awesome piece of software. And also there's MPV. So MPV is a media player that I think is better than VLC. Yes, I said it. <gasps> better than VLC. No. Uh, I, I, I think it's better you. in a lot of ways, and it's it doesn't... True, it doesn't have the weird if you've ever used a VLC and you'll notice that it has this weird artifacting thing where it does these weird green oh, like yeah. superimposing on top That's of the why video. I left and, VLC. Yeah. Yep. MPV does not do that at all. And it, it has the same okay, value of VLC as it works with all the codecs and it has all this other stuff. And it's actually to be the biggest fan of VLC until that whole yes. green thing. Okay, but hold on, happening. hold on, hold on, hold on. Before we get too carried away, you can just go into the preferences and change the video renderer to the is it open? Yeah, I could fix, I could fix VLC or I could just use MPV, which is better and doesn't do it. But I'm just saying it is, but I agree with you. The default is stupid that it does that, but I'm just saying it is a, it is a fairly brain dead fix, right? But no, it's because I don't have to anybody who's not a geek like us. Yeah. If you, if you know how to fix it, sure. It's fine. It's easy. But if you don't changing the AVC encoder, is not that hard. Well, actually, I'd like to disagree. Um, actually, the ABC um, encoder is better when you uh, use a flux capacitor on top of it, which is what I do. It's a little more complicated, but noobs don't get it. <laughs> okay. Flux capacitor. They have those at O'Reilly's. So, so anyway, MPV is a great application. It's my favorite media player. And if you haven't tried it, it might be weird out of the box when you first give it a shot. But it has a fantastic documentation that's online that gives you everything that it can do. And while it does, it is heavy keyboard driven, and that's probably the only negative I could give it, it is a fantastic thing. Uh, but also, I think there's other things that we, we should give it a little bit of a, of a tidbit to, because I think KD Connect is something that I, once I started using it, 
I never want to not use it. Like it, like mm-hmm. any any DE. By the way, KDE Connect is not just for KDE Plasma. You can use it for any DE. It works for everything, every single DE, and you should definitely use it if you haven't. I'm just a big fan of KDE Connect. And there's a bunch more, but there's one thing that I want to address before we move on. Uh, Noah mentioned an application, a music player called QMMP, and that's also yeah. a, a one of my favorite media music players. But I just want to quick note one thing. Uh, Noah said that it has a WinApp style interface, and that is true mm-hmm. by default. Doesn't but for, have to, yeah. But right. for anyone who doesn't like the WinApp style, you can go. Like for me, I don't, I don't like the WinApp style. But you can go into I'm the sorry, preferences, what? and at the very bottom, there's a, like an option that you can change it to a normal window, and that is a, uh, in my opinion, the better approach. That's a lot of applications we have gone through the list. I hope that you wrote it all down, and if you didn't. I might take the time to write it down for you in the show notes. We'll see. Let us know what you think about all these applications in the comments. As Michael mentioned in the earlier section of the show, we have launched a Zenotic game server for the DL community to get out there and play. You may randomly see Michael, me, Noah show up and do battle in this arena. But more importantly, um, actually, I hope you see it won't be random. It'll be all the time. Not gonna all lie. the time. Yeah. Well, Michael <laughs> exactly. and I have been jumping in and killing each other randomly throughout the week. So um, now that we're making it official, go check out the Destination Linux community server out there. You can do the filter in Zenotic when you click on multiplayer, type in destination and just wait for a few seconds, because sometimes it takes a second for it to yeah. refresh its list in Zenotic. And then you'll see it pop up and you can just jump right in. The server's been fantastically stable uh so thanks to digital ocean on that one but the game i want to talk to you about this week is fantasy grounds unity now if covid has your weekly tabletop gaming sessions on pause there is a solution for you here talking about more software on linux that will allow you to get all of your friends together and still be able to play your favorite tabletop games fantasy grounds unity is now available as an early access purchase from steam And it has dynamic systems for playing a host of different role-playing games online. So whether you're playing Dungeons & Dragons, Pathfinder, Savage Worlds, Call of Thulu, and so many more games that are tabletop, they have those. They have a system in there that allows you to buy preloaded content ready to go for maps and character generation and dice rolls and all of that. So you can do all of these games virtually with all of your friends. And I don't know about you guys, but tabletop games were a big part of me growing up. And it was so much fun to have some friends to get together with and play these games and see different people's personalities come out. And I think it's so cool in this day and age, and especially on Linux, that we have software like this to allow us to do it virtually and still be able to get our GMs, wake them back up, get them back on the horn and on their computer so that we can all play some D&D or other games out there. So thank you so much, Smiteworks USA, for making it available as a direct port to Linux. You can pick it up now for $39.99. I, wasn't, I didn't grow up with, with board games. I The extensive levels of, of board games, I had no idea until about five years ago or so. Like I had always heard of the term, of the, the like a few of them. Like I knew Dungeons and Dragons existed and I knew that uh, Settlers of Catan existed and stuff like that, but I didn't know how much of a, like its own genre it was. And then I found a local like board games group a few years ago and I started going to it and just playing random games that I'd never heard of. And it was, it was a completely eye opening experience for, I did not expect to be a fan of board games at that much. So this being made available for this, uh, this, you know, for virtual usage is just really cool. And also I started laughing at the, uh, the call of Cthulhu. 
I, I didn't know that that game existed and that's just kind of fun of like having a game based on like a, a mythical beast like alien character thing is like sure why not well of course there's one of those why not right what is the what is the movie out on Netflix? Is it Stranger Things? Stranger Things, right? That's yes. brought Dungeons oh, yeah. and Dragons back in a huge way. You now see because of Stranger Things, Dungeons and Dragons stuff in all of the main stores again, the books, all, all of that because of one really popular series out there which I think is pretty cool cuz you know, using your imagination, pretty important stuff. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because there was even these uh, tweets of about making fun of D and D, and there was this one guy who who asked like, "Hey, do you play D and D?" And they're like, "No, I'm not a nerd." And then it was responded to by a guy who said, "Yeah, I also play D and D. It's a fantastic. You should try it." And attached to that is the, the, that guy on the cover of like Men's Fitness. It's like, <laughs> j- <laughs> well, in case people haven't realized, geeks have taken over the world. So so sorry, jocks. We win. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Get wrecked. Get wrecked. Our tip of the week this week, we are continuing the exploration of the Linux file system now. So far, we've covered slash temp, bin, boot, dev, Etsy, lib, and media. This week, we're going to be covering slash opter slash OPT. Now, if you were listening to us last week, then we talked about slash media, and you might have said, hey, uh, Noah... I, I didn't. I didn't have uh, my my USB drive. Doesn't mount there. It mounts in this totally other place. If it mounts under slash run, we're going to get to that when we talk about slash run. So hold on to those questions. Hold on to those thoughts. We'll get to that in an upcoming week. This week we're talking about slash opt and slash opt is the directory essentially for the system administrator of the computer. Now that might be you if you're the one that installed your operating system. Basically, it's the place where you want to. Uh, place things for the, the the proper operation of that system. So for example, if you install simple help, it will install to slash opt slash simple help. When we do scripts for servers for people, we put them in slash opt slash scripts. Um, there are a number of different uh, programs that will install to slash opt or store things in slash ops. Oftentimes you'll see um, some resource files that maybe the, the, the binary executable is in some place entirely else. Maybe it is in slash opt slash bin. Um, but if it is somewhere else, they may have something like slash opt slash include. Opt is a directory we would encourage you to go playing around in. See what's in opt. See what those files are. See when they were accessed. Look at how big they are. Um, this is a place to you can create uh, directories in opt if you if you need to for uh, either storing again binaries for the the server or scripts for the server or other resource files for the server, it's a really great all-purpose directory to use uh, for operations of the server. Uh, and so we invite you to check that out and and see if that's on your system. If you have software installed, then see if any of those uh, uh, programs are storing files in slash opt, and make sure to come back next week to find out the next directory they're going to cover on our tips and tips of the week. It's funny because, Noah, I was confused by this. I told you before mm-hmm. the show that in, in researching this, it seems like y- you would see all these different sites saying this is what slash opt is for. And I heard some mention what you and then other sites were saying it was completely the opposite. And that's what slash user slash local was for and all of right. this. So it's so helpful to hear from somebody who actually uses this stuff because I think sometimes programmers or developers or software writers put stuff where they're not supposed to. And that's where that confusion I'm guessing comes in at times. There's also and, a duplication of of 
it's it is true that opt does the same kind of thing that user local does but it also does more than that it's a catch slash op slash opt was originally designed i think it, i think it stems all the way back from like the original unix it was optional packages things that didn't belong in slash bin mm-hmm. um and i and 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 so like you say that, that like depending on who you talk to it's they'll put it in slash user slash local user slash bin wherever but like it's 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 supposed to be a place for other stuff and that's typically how it's been used and i think no matter what school of thought i think what you'll find from most people is most people will say well the proper place to put that is blah but sometimes you'll find it in slash opt blah 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 yeah it's basically like if all else fails opt yeah it's kind of what it's use use opt or or from my perspective just keep it simple and put it in opt because that's then you know where to look for it. In one of our patrons, Jacob says that's where he mounts his Steam game folders in. So you could do yeah. a lot of different things with Slash Opt. Slash Opt is not a bad place for that. Nice. So let's talk about the software spotlight. So in addition to all the awesome applications we talked about, we also like to do a spotlight that highlights, you know, a, a something that might, you might not have heard of because it just we just happen to like the cool features that it adds and that sort of stuff. So in this particular spotlight, we're going to talk about Bandwitch. So Bandwitch, if you like one, what an a easy great name. It is a fantastic name. Yes, if you want an easy CLI application to check current network utilization for by process connection yeah, or do. remote IP or stuff like that, so Bandwitch sniffs a given network interface and records IP packet size, cross referencing it with the proc file system on Linux. And it's also responsive in like a terminal window, and it displays like displaying less info than it, that you have room for it. So you don't really like if there's if there's not enough room, it'll compensate for that. Like it's just it's a nice tool for that approach. And I really, really, really love the fact that it's named Bandwitch. It's just a fun name. Like it's well, it's it, a fun <laughs> name and it's a great product because yeah. I, you know, I'm not a system administrator by trade. So I know there are oh, really? a ton of tools that do things that like this out on there. Droplets and, and I like simple tools that do something that just tells me what I need it to tell me and not a thousand other things. Sometimes I just want it simple. And Bandwitch to me is that. It gives me a simple view to check what's going on in my network right then and there. Very easy to set up, very easy to get going, easy interface, the design, what they've named things, makes sense, Uh, very intuitive. I think it's a great name and it's a great product. I enjoyed using it all week. So a big thank you to each and every one of you for watching us and listening to this show. The support has been amazing for Destination Linux and we love you for it. Thank you so much for supporting all of the shows on the network. In fact, like the Pseudo Show, which you should be checking out for their Ask Me Anything coming up on this episode eight. If you want more DL, become a patron. Like all of these beautiful faces that are here with us right now, help correct Michael when he makes a mistake and doesn't understand what OPT is. Um, That is your opportunity as a patron and things that you can do, uh, which is fantastic. You get to troll Michael. You get to watch us live and participate in the show. You also, if you can't make it on the Sundays that we typically record on. You can get unedited versions of the show as well. That's right. You can troll uh, Ryan and know as much as you want to by becoming a patron. It's a fantastic option. And another fantastic option is to get some DLN swag. So you can get some Destination Linux merch by going to dlnstore.com. We have t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, and more. And we're actually going to be adding a lot more of those items. Hey, anyway. Hey, Michael, guess what? One of our patrons just posted a link to an I support Ted shirt that they want added to our store. No. It's not happening. 
It's no, not that person's getting, that person Ted. just lost their Patreon subscription. Ted is the worst <laughs> producer we've ever had that we continue to bring back every week as our producer. So right, we are the it, Ted it? is the worst that of worst producer that we've ever had, and also doesn't exist. So I, I think you guys are being unfair to Ted. But here's what I think we should do. I think we should invite. All of the people listening should go to the DLN community forums and check out the shindig that we have going on in the DLN Discord form. They can create a thread specifically defending Ted and why they think that Ted shouldn't be fired. That's right, <laughs> right Ted. Ted. If you Get want a more interactive chat, if you want to talk, uh, if we want to talk the details of of how we all are living. Uh, within Ted's ineptitude, then you can get into our Telegram group. And finally, if you want to play some interactive game seshes, uh, your goat, that's greatest of all time for those of you that didn't know, including me, uh, head to the DLN Discord server and get your game on. <laughs> that's right. And also you can go get some more content like the pseudo show, like Ryan mentioned, at the destinationlinux.network website where you'll find all sorts of open source goodness from podcasts, YouTube channels, and so much more. So check that out, destinationlinux.network. Everybody have a great week, except for Ted. And remember <laughs> that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. See you next Bye. week. <laughs> I like how it's like, just except for Ted. And then some people are going to be like, kind of like weirded out. Like, why are we hating Ted so much? Just to be clear, for those who don't know, Ted doesn't exist. Blah, it's, just, it's, a fake it's, it's a mythical person. From your hearing <laughs> what Michael is saying. Sorry, Ted. Does exist, Michael. That's that's the meanest thing anybody's ever could say to another <laughs> human is, being. That, yeah, it's, it's, that would be mean if it was an actual human being and not just a mythical. You exist, Ted. <laughs> Your existence is just worthless. <laughs> All right. So, patrons, if you'd like to join us in the poster, you can turn your mic on and camera on and everything. <laughs> you want to know what my must have app is? What's that? DLNstore.com. Nice. I really want you guys to go all like Linus Tech Tips and be like, DLNstore.com every five minutes. That would be hilarious. <laughs> I can do that. Uh, challenge accepted. No, do not, do not challenge, Michael. Challenge accepted. No, no. Challenge accepted. Oh, no. What have I done? <laughs> exactly. <laughs>